Hello, grace and peace to all of you. Welcome to the Blue Ridge Church. It's good to be back. I know it's parents weekend, so we have a lot of parents in the house. Uh, Welcome to the parents. Uh, Welcome to all of you who are not parents as well. Oh, thanks. Thank you. Um, And uh, we're excited to be back. My wife and I were in the at the Steps of Paul tour. Uh, which was a blast. So we got to go to Philippi and Berea and Thessalonica and Ephesus and Athens and Corinth and Crete and Patmos, uh, which was a blast. And so I, I won't be able to get into any of that t- today per se. None of it necessarily applies to today. But Wednesday I'll have a short little slideshow. We'll kind of share some of uh, the pictures. And then I think what we're going to do next year is jump into some of these books and study them out on Sundays together. Maybe have a few teaching nights. Um, I do want to share just a little bit of good news from that trip. Uh, I'm up here at a record time of 11.10. Wow. So um, that could mean one of two things. We end early or I get to go super long. So we will, only time will tell. Um, time will literally tell. Uh, so, but one of, the great, one of the great pieces of good news is we were there in Athens and we had a, this, this amazing tour guide. Uh, and so tour guides are always sort of a little risky. You're not sure, kind of like... Uh, Will they be biblical? Will they just be sort of political? Or, you know, will they just talk to you about the architecture uh, of the building? But, but this guy named James is our tour guide there in Athens, and he was a, a, native, a native Greek. And he would just, he had just great insight into the Bible. And he would kind of start to preach to us. On, and this is 44 disciples, most of which full-time staff, you know, in our family of churches. And he kind of started to preach to us. So when everyone, whenever anyone starts to kind of preach to you, at least for me, I kind of feel a little nervous. You know, like, okay, where is this going to go? Um, and is it going to get strange or, you know, unbiblical or, 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 or you know, 97% of Greek is, uh, Greece is Greek Orthodox. Uh, is it going to be about icons or something? You know, so all these things. But anyway, he, he just he starts to do an amazing job and really uh, seemed like the Holy Spirit was working really well. He was really digging into the scriptures. For example, he showed us the, the, the Parthenon there in Athens. And he made a point that on top of the Parthenon, um, the Greeks decided to always finish the sculptures at the very top even though you couldn't see them. But the Christians who did St. Peter's Basilica in Rome didn't bother to finish the top of the sculptures or the backside of the sculptures because they thought, who cares? No one's going to see it. And James made a point that a lot of Christians today are like those who built the, you know, the, the St. Peter's uh, Basilica in Rome. They really only live their lives for people to see. But the Greeks decided, actually, it's more important that God sees our work than people. So the Greeks always finished the backside of the top side of sculptures. And we were like, what? That's incredible. What a great point. We are like that. We do. We are people motivated. And then he just kept moving. He kept upping the ante further and further. And he was like, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a lot like the, the homosexual issue now with churches. Churches are splitting because they only really care about what people think. Like the Presbyterian church, the Baptist church. He's like, there's no heart about what does God think about this. There's no heart in churches of what, let's find out what God thinks about this issue. And God has a great perspective on that issue, by the way. He would like to know. Please come talk to one of us. But, but the people, he's just saying churches don't seem to care as much about what God thinks. They care more about what people think. Or what, and so we're just like, this guy's incredible. And he, keeps, he just does an incredible job over and over again. And so, you know, you're thinking, okay, we've got to reach out to this guy. We've got to talk to this guy. So we start to talk to him, you know, at Anton, Phil Booker. You know, by the way, if there's any, like, group of people to reach out to somebody, it's this group uh, of, like, 44, you know, uh, uh, these leaders here. So I'm like, okay, we're all just going to, 44 people will talk to this guy. You know, we started talking to him. We shared our conversion stories with him. We shared our lives with him. Turns out his wife is from Dayton, Ohio. Go figure. So he's like, yeah, well, we go to Dayton. And 
So uh, it's just great. And then James shared a story that he realized one day. And James, is, is, he, he leads his own house church because he can't find anything in Greece that's, that's biblical. So he leads his own house church. And he decided one day that he, uh, this is years ago, that he needed to be baptized. But there was no one to baptize him. So he just went into the Aegean Sea and baptized himself, um, which, which is incredible. And he said that he needed to be faithful with little so that he could be faithful with much. Um, and, and it is incredible stories. You know, there's no biblical precedent, by the way, for baptizing yourself. But amen. You know, I guess you got to do what you got to do in that case. But anyway, Ed reached out to him and said, hey, man, we'd love to fly you out to Virginia to do a teaching weekend for us and to just be able to connect with the churches there. And James said, I would love to do that. Um, on the last day, uh, Ed Anton preached in Athens at the Areopagus, where Paul preaches in Acts 17. And James stood up afterwards, and James said, you know, I've, I've heard 10, 000, over 10,000 sermons here from different groups. I've been a tour guide for 13 years and heard over 10,000 sermons at this spot. I've never wanted to record one of those sermons until now. Wow. He was like, that was amazing, and that is challenging. And he was getting kind of emotional. We thought, man, what a great connection. So we really, God really brought us together with James. We talked to James. James is going to come to America. He's going to visit the church in Dayton uh, when he and his wife visit. They have three little kids. And we exchanged emails. You know, several of us exchanged emails with James. So it was just cool to be able to see God work in that. It's not just some, you know, a biblical tour where we can learn more information. And you know, God forbid we come back and just have a little bit more insight at a Bible study. You know, but actually, our lives are changed, yeah. right? Yeah. And so it's great that God actually turned this tour into something that will actually change lives. For the better. Um, and so anyway, it's just some very, very good news as we come back. Um, and and not, any, not any information or, or fun trivia fact, but really that, that God rearranged our lives. And um, the trip was almost canceled, by the way, because the Turkish visas were revoked. A lot of you know that right now with our situation with the Turkish visas and our relationship with Turkey currently. But the trip still barely happened. And, and all this so that we can be able to connect with a family of disciples there in Athens, Greece. Isn't that amazing? Praise God uh, for his omnipotence and for being for his divine will working across the world. Uh, so anyway, just a small piece of good news. Wanted to share that. We'll have more Wednesday uh, with, with, the, um, with the church there at the Spiritual Running Club at 7 o'clock. Um, also known as Midweek, uh, which, is, which is Midweek. Uh, by the way, yes, I do want to add on an announcement. Kath, uh, Miss Kathy Wegman is, is doing a, a great job of collecting money um, for, uh, to get uh, Christmas gifts for the kids. We're, we're really behind pace on that, actually. So there's, there's a, a jar in the back. Please, please give. She's trying to uh, get that done early. And our, our, our uh, Christmas party, as you heard, is three weeks away. So please give today, even if it's just a little, doesn't matter. Just please chip in a little bit today, a little bit Wednesday. It, it, uh, it, every year it's harder, hard for her because it, it takes so long for us to, to be able to give enough money. And we're tracking about uh, a good ways behind our normal tracking. So if you can, please give. That's a little bit of my fault. We haven't been announcing it. But amen for repentance. And let's be, have godly sorrow on that regard. So there we go. So we've been going through all these things, all these things, right? One another, scripture, generous sharing, prayer, hospitality. Uh, these are all from Acts 2.42. They're uh, characteristics of the early church. And we're trying to look at those and, and how it relates to communal transformation. We live in the most independent uh, time in history. And so we, we get a chance to be able to uh, actually be distinct in our communities uh, by having community. Right. Um, and, and so we live in a, a world where this will be the easiest way for us to be distinctive, especially on your campus uh, or, or in your neighborhood where everything is relative and everything is cafeteria style. You can take what you want and leave what you don't like. Here we can be mostly dis uh, distinctive by being a community who has deep conviction on what the Bible says. 
And so uh, today is Mission of Jesus, and this Wednesday will be Mission of Jesus. And then we'll have a couple more and close out the year with our communal transformation theme, which has been a great uh, theme this year. We're thinking about how the Holy Spirit can really guide us and drive us and move us and how we can listen to him as he prods us along. Um, because really, we can do any number of things, right? Churches, um, Jared was telling me recently, there's like a Christian marketing course. Was that, I think it was, it was Jared, right? Christian marketing course at Liberty. He was like, oh, wow, this, this course, how can we make ourselves appealing and attractive to the world, right? Um, and anyone can do that, right? Print out water bottle labels or make T-shirts or make signs or make invitations. Those things aren't necessarily bad. But I, we, we believe that uh, Revelation says, uh, the Spirit says in Revelation, God says, I will take my lantern away from you. If you don't repent, I think what's most important to people in the world is not uh, marketing, but really uh, having God's lantern, but really actually seeing that, okay, the Holy Spirit is still with this church. Um, So that's what we want to go for. That's what matters. That's what people see. That's what converts people, not any sort of um, attractive or or modernized slogan, though I do love attractive and modernized slogans. That is not what does it. So we're going to jump in. This is the Middle East. Geography 101, right? Uh, so I want to take about 60 seconds to summarize the whole Old Testament uh, as best I can. So we're going to look today at the mission of Jesus, which does not begin in the New Testament, but it really begins with Genesis 1.1, right? In the beginning was God, uh, and he created the heavens and the earth. And so what we have with God's people, God had a plan for, to have a people and to preach to the world through that people. That's the whole plan. That's why we have Leviticus. That's why we have, hey, don't tattoo yourselves. Don't go out there and marry other people from other nations. All the stuff that we don't like because we don't understand it. Once we understand it, that God actually wants them to be distinct. And he doesn't want them to get sucked into uh, idolatry, paganism, and worldliness. That's the goal. Not that uh, evangelism outreach has always been part of God's heart. Right? Uh, Ruth is a non, uh, she's a Moabitess, she's a non-Jew, Rahab's a non-Jew. The list goes on in the Old Testament, by the way, of non-Jews. God's heart is to preach to the whole world. But this group of people got enslaved, they became enslaved in Egypt. We know that, right? Exodus, let my people go. If you've watched uh, uh, any number of the movies, right? You know that. Uh, and then they basically brought out of Egypt uh, back into the promised land. And God's goal is the same the whole time. He wants to reach out to the world through these people. Um, but there's a problem. Uh, and that's that John tells us that the world is darkness. And that when Jesus comes into the world in John chapter 1, that the darkness has not understood it. The darkness has not understood Jesus. Hop over to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, uh, verse 13. Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. This is the greatest sermon of all time, the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, It's an incredible sermon. There's a lot to look at in regard to it. But when Jesus comes on the scene, when he's born, uh, you know, around 0 AD, more likely, you know, uh, 4 AD, when he's born, he comes on the scene, he comes into a nation of people who are still enslaved. That They have these great aspirations, this great hope to be the light of the world. But they're still enslaved. They're enslaved, and not in a classic sense, but pretty much in a very real sense to the Romans. That they have to give almost half their paycheck in tax to the Romans. They have no real power or governing authority. Uh, I mean, they're allowed to worship God, but only in as much as it doesn't overlap with worshiping Rome and worshiping Caesar. So imagine that. There's a, really a hurt people. Uh, they have this idea of what God was going to do in their life, but it didn't work out. Uh, and God is seemingly absent. God has seemingly left them. 
and they're unsure of what's coming next. And Jesus comes in Matthew 5, 13 and preaches this incredible parable, or sorry, this incredible sermon. And in verse 13, he says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. You know, the world is darkness and Israel was meant to be a light to that world. It was meant to be a place uh, where you could come to for help. It was meant to be a light. God has a heart that all should be saved. Uh, 2 Thessalonians 3 tells us that. God does not want anyone to perish. God God is patient and wants everyone to come to repentance. This has always been the plan. God has always wanted the world to be able to to see the light. You might say, well, why didn't God just come down and sort of make us do it? Well, God's always wanted to, to approach us in an accessible way. Why did God send Jesus? And why did he send Jesus in the way he did? as a you know, middle-class or even middle-lower-class uh, carpenter, you know, builder. Why does, he, why does God do anything he does? Why do we have all the little things? Because the little things matter. Come on, Drew. And that's actually, God wants us to be able to understand. He's done all he can to lower himself so that he can be accessible, so that you can understand and see the light. Now, why does Jesus do this? Why does he say, you're the salt of the earth? You're the salt, and that's kind of a phrase we hear now. And we'll say, you're the salt of the earth. Good stuff, right? Well, what is salt? Back then, pretty much, yes. It, 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 it preserved and it added taste. So it made things better. Either way you slice it, salt was a good thing. Everybody wanted salt. Um, salt is very, very, very valuable, especially back then. But the salt they, they used was not like sodium chloride like we have today. The salt, they actually, if you walk to the Dead Sea today, you can pick up rocks of salt from the Dead Sea. And some are salty, but some are not, depending on the content of salt in each one. And, and Jesus is just trying to say something, basically, listen, salt is salt. And it's good. We all know that, right? That stuff's good. And everyone's going, oh yeah, we love us some salt. You know? But Jesus is saying, but listen, if it's, if it's not salty, is it good still? It's basically just a rock. What is it useful for then? And they could even imagine, like these rocks they pick up at the Dead Sea, excited perhaps, that it's salt, but it's not. And that it's really worth nothing. It's not even actually worth trampling on. It's got no purpose. Salt is only valuable because of its saltiness. And so Jesus is saying, well, listen, you are that salt, but a salt is also distinguishable. Right. Salt, you can tell when you eat something, you go, oh, too salty. You know, you're like, this has salt in it. Salt is very distinguishable. Salt is, you know, and it's on most tables, like at any dining table ever, right? It's salt and pepper. Like salt is distinguishable, and so is, is light. Light is distinguishable. There's no such thing as darkness, by the way. It's just a word we use to associate the lack of light. There's no such thing. So, so we use a word to say, basically, when there's no light, there's darkness. Um, and, and darkness is a very scary thing for them at the time as well. Until like 100 years ago, there was no electricity in like the history of the world. So darkness was a very scary time. In fact, that's why Jesus' parables in, uh, in Luke 13, when he tells the parable about the friend at midnight, that's a big deal because when the sun goes down, you lock your door. And no matter who knocks, you don't answer it because it's nighttime. In fact, the Talmud, which is a, it's a Jewish writings from uh, before Jesus' time, says don't ever greet a stranger in the night because they might be a demon. There's, there was so much superstition with nighttime. There's a reason Halloween happens and haunted houses happen at night, right? Because it's, it's scary. 
Night brings a, a fear, a scariness to it. Uh, and, and so even with Jesus, he says, listen, darkness is scary, but, but guess what? You're the light of the world. Light brings peace, right? Light brings happiness. Light brings excitement. You, this, and Jesus is reminding them, this is what you're supposed to be. And when you sit here this morning and you think about what is, even a, what is a Christian? Who is a Christian? This is God's vision for what a Christian and who a Christian should be. This has always been God's vision of who a Christian should be. Uh, they've done research uh, recently about, about kids who grew up in, uh, in families uh, with, with parents who are Christian who are kind of like helicopter parents, like really involved. And they're so involved that when the kid leaves home and they're asked to articulate their faith, they cannot do it. Why are you a Christian? Oh, I, um, I, um, I was supposed to. I, God is alive. God is good. God, I don't, you know, you can't. Why are you a Christian? They can't articulate it. Uh, they can't do it because they don't know who, what, what's the purpose. And even today, just as Israel lost vision for their purpose in life, we can lose vision for ours as well. And I want to talk to two groups of people today. Those who are a part of the body of Christ. Those who have decided to say Jesus is Lord and to live your lives for him. Basically to become in solidarity with Christ, to get baptized, right? For those who have not yet made that decision, uh, I want to also say something to you as well. And I think that Jesus wants us to understand something today, that this is the goal, to be lights of the world. You know, Jenny and I actually got to go to the Mount Beatitudes where Jesus says this. And right behind Jesus is great. It's hard to see. This is the Mount Beatitudes. Um, that's a little more green than it is today. Um, but if you can't see it, great. This is actually a picture that I took from the Mount Beatitudes a few years ago. Uh, right there. Right behind Jesus would have been a city on a hill. Uh, that's Tiberius. And it's still there. And it, was, it still have been there when Jesus... And you, can even, you can even hear Jesus say it, right? A city on a hill cannot be hidden. And they're going, no, you're right. It's right. I see. It's right there. <laughs> just, yeah. You talking about that one? Okay, that one. Uh, but it's still there. It's still there. Actually, when Jesus says, consider the lilies of the field, there's lilies there. You know, there's, they grow. Jesus says, consider these lilies. Like Jesus was a preacher who used things around him to try to articulate the kingdom of God. And what he's trying to say about the kingdom of God is that it cannot be hidden. And Satan's going to try to hide it. He's going to try to stop it from happening. Right? We have the light. We have the candle. But Satan is going to try to, to, try to get that to be covered. The sermon title is Light It Up. Yeah, a lot of, you know, it's amazing how fast, like, new slogans are happening. Like, I'm not that old. But I remember a few years ago here in the campus ministry say, like, get lit or it's lit. And I was like, that just sounds, like, inappropriate. Like, like I think of something else when I think of getting lit. Um, something else comes to mind, and I won't say what, but something else does. And they just keep saying it. So actually, like, apparently it means, like, it's, 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 it's an exciting sort of situation, I guess, right? Um, so I almost went there. But I hadn't done enough research on the, on, the, on the term, so I decided not to go there. So, Light It Up, Light It Up is the, is the sermon title this morning. This is our goal, this is our purpose, is to light up the world. It's to light it up. And whatever situation we're in is to be a light. Uh, Satan's going to do his very best to, to cover it up, right? And Jesus says, Jesus says no, one, no one lights a lamp and hides it. That's kind of stupid. Imagine going to somebody's house, and all their lamps are like, covered in barrels like you, you know you're like why even light it right but Jesus says this is what you're doing yeah. this is what you're doing right now you're a light but you're, you're putting a covering over yourself 
you're not living out your purpose. You're not living out God's vision for you. And there's a couple traps that we can fall into. And when we hear be a light, I don't know about you. When I hear be a light, I can think I have to perform. I have to be enough. I, I have to be a light. I don't know if I can be a light. I mean, do you know about my sin, my struggles? Like, I, I don't think I can be a light. I can barely get, get, get here. I can barely have a quiet time. And, you know, like, that's how we can feel sometimes. The others, the others of us go, be a light. You betcha I'm a light. I'm awesome. I got it going on. You have any questions, come talk to me because I have answers. So those are kind of the two camps we fall in, right? One is like arrogant and probably just insecure. But you know that you, you can't uh, really uh, do enough, so you, you overcompensate, which was, that's a uh, struggle for me. But there, some of us also feel like, you know what, honestly, I just can't do it. Get somebody else because I just can't live up to it. That's what we can feel. Now, when Israel first comes into the promised land, in Deuteronomy 8, um, Jesus, uh, through the Holy Spirit, rather, the Holy Spirit says this in Deuteronomy 8. When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees that I am giving you to this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, even uh, when you build fine houses and settle down, when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase, and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You know, Moses is speaking to the people of Israel and he says, listen, I know you are just slaves, but it's about to get really good for you. That's what God wants for you. He wants you to be able to live a life to the full. But the, tra- the trap is that you're going to think that you did it. Right. You're going to think that you accomplished it. And this happens with any of us, right? I mean, you ever reach out to somebody to, to study the Bible or come to church and they're, really, they're self-contented? They're like, no, I don't need God. God's just a crutch. Only, you know, I remember being in Australia sharing my faith and a guy was like, I don't need God. You may need God, but I don't need God. He said it in a very, you know, sort of demeaning way, like, like I needed a crutch in my life. But, that, that's, but Australia has almost no poverty. It's very, it's very self-content in Sydney. It's like, we're good. Why would we need God? That, that's the heart here, right? We've done all this good stuff. Why do we need God? Well, God says your heart will become prideful. Your heart will become proud. This is the danger for all of us. And Israel falls into this trap exactly. We don't have enough time to study it out. But that's pretty much the, the whole point of the Old Testament. God has this vision for them. And they drift toward idolatry. They start to live for things, for people, for material. And they lose the purpose. And they're still Jews, but they're not God's vision of his people. And we can be in the same danger of being Christians, but not really living out the purpose, God's vision for his chosen people. Uh, N.T. Wright has a great quote. Uh, The quote is, This was always Israel's vocation, to be a nation of priests, to be God's servant, so that his glory might reach the ends of the earth. But the salt has now forgotten its purpose. The light has turned in on itself. The city set on a hill was meant to be the place to which nations would flock to like moths to a lamp. But she has done her best to make herself 
and the God to whom her very existence bears witness as unattractive as possible. There is rebuke within the challenge. Israel, called to be a lighthouse to the world, has surrounded herself with mirrors to keep in the light, heightening her own sense of purity and exclusiveness while insisting that the nations must remain in darkness. You know, it's a scary passage. But this is what Jesus is saying, is this was your purpose. But instead of being a light to the world, you've become exclusive. You've said, you're not, you know, and we read about this. Just read the New Testament. Jesus says to the Jews, you talk about them being unclean. Like, oh, they can't enter because they're sinners. They can't talk to us because they're tax collectors. They can't be one of us. We're God's people. And instead of being encouraged by, and being grateful by being chosen by God, they become entitled. Of course God loves me. Of course I have God's grace. I'm going to go on and keep sinning. And a grace just becomes a credit card with a higher and higher balance. And we distort grace. The evangelical world does the same thing. Oh, look, oh, praise God we have grace. You don't need to do anything. Just God has grace. Just do whatever you want, really. All that matters is in our hearts. We love that because it doesn't have any commitment. But Jesus says, no, listen, you guys had a very specific challenge. It was to be a light but you have not lived up to it. You have not done what you're supposed to do. You've kept the light in and you've been exclusive. You know, we do the same thing. We do the same thing as people. And as I, as I preach this, I can even feel it in myself a little bit. I feel a little bit like this. This is a bunch of men shoveling coal into a furnace. You've probably seen like a scene in Titanic where they're all like, there's like 500 men like shoveling coal into a furnace just to get the ship to move. Or an lo- old locomotive. You have, you have to get the coal and you have to constantly put coal in the furnace. You have to keep the fire lit. And it's, it seems like this is so difficult. There's so, so many people who are just trying to keep the fire lit. And that's how, I can, how it can feel in the church. It takes so many people just to get someone to come out to church on Sunday. It takes like 20 of us to get someone to have a quiet time. It takes like 25 people to go to your house to try to help you forgive. It can feel like that. I can feel like that. I can feel like, oh, it's just, how can we grow in Charlottesville? It's just hard enough to even, like, to get church even going. To get the body of Christ loving. To be able to get people to show up to events. To get people to actually care about each other. It feels like this. Just over and over. And some of us who have been Christians for a long time are still asking questions. And we're still having doubts that, that should have been dealt with years ago. We still have grudges and bitterness in our hearts that we've petted like little pets and and we nourish and we take care of and we entertain evil thoughts. We should have dealt with that by now. We've got to be faithful. And the issue with Israel was not that she lacked instruction, it's that she lacked faith. She lost faith in her God. And it became about rules. The Pharisees wore phylacteries on their arm, these big wooden boxes with the whole book of Deuteronomy in there that they memorized. They had it on their heads. They lived it out. They, could, they knew every, so every passage, every interpretation of every passage, but they had drifted. How's our faith today, church? What do you want to see in Charlottesville? And, don't, don't, and I know it can feel like this. Well, Drew, if you knew my circumstances, forget circumstances. Forget, well, if you knew the culture right now. If you knew my, if, it feels like this, but what about, what about this? What's the source of this light? It's the sun, right? 
Jesus says in John 8, I am the light of the world. Our problem is that we forget the source of the light. We try to, to, to get it going and we do this and we're like, oh, it's just so much work. I can't, I'm tired. I'm exhausted. I can't do that. We get asked to do something in the church. Or we get asked to, to, to do something for someone. And we, we can't. It's just too much. But you know what? The moon doesn't do a dang thing. It just sits there. The moon is nothing special. It is a rock. It is nothing. It is not even that big. It's not attractive. It has no purpose. But the thing about the moon is, is when darkness comes, the moon could be awesome. Only because it reflects the sun. We hear be a light and we go, I can't be a light. And Jesus goes, you're, you're dang right, you can't be a light. I am the light of the world. It's me. God is the source of our light. A light is only as powerful as its source. Flashlight's only going to be good if it's got some batteries. Otherwise, it's pretty useless. You ever pick up a battery, it's too light. Or pick up a flashlight, it's too light. You're like, oh, it's useless. Something with no batteries in it just feels useless, you know? Do people still use batteries? You guys, young people? Okay. They're like batteries, what? Alarm clock, what is that? Um, maybe I think about like a phone, like an iPhone. Oh, now it makes sense. The kingdom of God is clear. iPhone metaphors. Now I understand. Jaden's going, oh, now you're speaking my language. Over there. Now I get it. But see, the thing about the moon is the moon is, is not much without the sun. And in the same way, we cannot be lights to our communities the way we should without God. We need God. And, and two, two, two struggles we have is that we can become exclusive when we become disciples. And amen, I am all about spending time with the body of Christ. That is a call. That is a challenge. There are 53 one another passages in the Bible for a reason. We need to love each other. But we also need to love the lost. Jesus didn't just spend time with the apostles. He did. Every day he did. But he also spends a lot of time trying to share the light with others. He tries to bring the outsiders in. He tries to bring the community in. In. And that's difficult for us because it re- requires that, that we have integrity. It's a lot easier to be with some disciples and to joke around and like, oh, and then, you know, it's actually a lot less, it's a lot more risky to invite a friend from my class because he knows me. I'm going to see him every day. And, oh, but you know what? What if I'm not righteous enough? What if I'm not cool enough? What if I, what if, he's so different than me. You know, I'm kind of a sporty guy. He's, he's not really like, he doesn't know anything about sports. How am I supposed to reach out to this guy? I can't reach out to these people. And so our fear of not being cool or enough or having enough personality makes us exclusive. And we just come to church and we don't, we don't try to shed the light to the world. And then we get a lot of confidence. And we don't necessarily say these things per se, but we, we start to pray that prayer the Pharisee prays in Luke 18. Thank God I'm not like other people. Thank God I'm a Christian. And I have all these things and I do all these good things. We pray that prayer. And uh, we forget that that's that's not why we're here. We're not here to get God's grace and receive it, have health and wealth, and then die. Our goal is to be a light to the world. 
And we can be entitled to God's grace. Well, yeah, God died. Jesus died for me. But why not? I deserve that. Like, you know, like, why can't God do this for me? Why can't God answer this question for me? Why can't God give me this? Why can't God give me a, a, a girlfriend, a boyfriend? Why can't God put this right? Why not? Well, it becomes about all that we want and all that we need. And it doesn't become about, oh, my goodness, look what God's done for me. We are a, a rock. We're that. And we, 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 we try to shine on our own. We will not be lights. The other thing that happens is that we can become people-pleasing. The Jews became very obsessed with what people thought. When, we, when God leaves the picture, it becomes about pleasing people. And then we get churches that are built, really only, they're only as strong as the people who lead it. Yeah, that's right. And uh, you see it every time. Um, you know, a couple moves, a leadership, a leadership couple moves from a church and people fall away. Where'd that couple, where'd they go? Were they only coming because of the leader? Were they only going to Bible talk because of the Bible talk leader? Were they only coming to devotional because they had a friend there? Was it based on Jesus or was it based on people? And we become, we become people groups. We become motivated by people. We only really do things because of people. We only really read our Bibles because we know somebody's going to ask. This is big for teenagers. We become disciples because mom and dad want us to. I had so many friends. I can't even tell you how many friends I had that, that quite, male friends in college who questioned their, uh, the legitimacy of their conversion because there was just so much motivation to please mom and dad. And in some cases, it was just Satan attacking and they needed, you know, amen, it wasn't the case. But in other cases, it was true. Uh, we've got to be able to love Jesus. And that question we asked people in that last Bible study before they become disciples which is sort of hypothetical, but it's really important, which is, you know, let's play this hypothetical game where let's say I fall away, and oh, by the way, you know, this guy falls away, and oh, like this, this, this girl, she falls away. Would you still follow God? And everyone goes, oh, well, yeah. You know, oh, well, yeah, but that's a real question. Yeah. Do you really love Jesus? Is he your light or is that other person your light? Are you trying to be like them or are you trying to be like Jesus? You know, we can feel like, are you kidding? I can't do this, Drew. I just, I'm not enough. I can't deliver. I can't be perfectly in tune with my heart at all times. I can't be perfectly hospitable. I've tried. The house is a wreck. I can't be a good mom. I'm losing my temper all the time. I can't be a good dad. Have you seen my, have you seen my marriage? I can't be a, a good, out, I can't reach out at school. I'm, I'm, I'm barely working it out with sexual purity. I, I'm addicted to pornography. How can I be a disciple? How can I be a light at school? Have you seen me? I'm not enough. And God goes, I, I know you're not enough. You don't have to be enough. You are not the light. It is not about how cool you are. Jesus doesn't say, you know, those of you that are extroverts are the lights of the world. And those of you that are introverts, don't worry about it. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, those of you with really cool and approachable personalities, you're the lights of the world. Those of you who know just how to say something to somebody... You know, a lot of it, it's not our personality, it's not our technique, it's not our coolness. Yeah. Hopefully none of us became disciples for those reasons. The guy who reached out to me was a pretty big nerd. I had nothing in common. Come on, nerds. And I say nerd, I say nerd from my 14-year-old perspective that was pretty, you know, uh, I looked down on people. So my heart was full of hate. But here's the thing, is I didn't see in Nick, I didn't see coolness. I saw love. I saw faith. I saw Jesus. 
And I fell in love with God because of Nick Anderson. He was a light to me. And he, held, he hung in there with me. We got to be just like this church. It's not about us. Deuteronomy 7. Right before Deuteronomy 8, as it turns out, uh, <laughs> Moses says, The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other people's. For you were the fewest of all people's. But it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your ancestors and he brought to you, brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery. You know, and Israel is not a big deal. I had an Old Testament professor in college who said, if it weren't for the Bible, we would not be studying out Israel. They are nothing militarily puny, economically worthless, politically there's so many better options out there. We are only studying out Israel because of God. God chose a people. He says, you know, it's not because you were big and strong and good looking. It wasn't because you knew how to talk to people. It wasn't because you're so perfect. Actually, I loved you despite who you are, not because of who you are. And we have the first instance of unconditional love. God does not love Israel because of who they are, but despite who they are. And God loves you, not because of the things you've done, but be, despite the things you've done. God loves you. He set his affection on you. And he wants the world to know the same beauty, the same peace, the same confidence, the same assurance of salvation and intimacy with him. He wants it for them the, the same way that he, we have it with him in our own regard. He wants the world to be able to have what we have. For those that are not part of the body of Christ this morning, you've not yet decided to become a disciple. What is holding you back? A lot of times it is a fear to let go. We think to ourselves, uh, I could never live up to the call of being a disciple. And Jesus is going, yes, we should. I think we address that. You will. Not, but I just I could never do it. You're right. You can't. You have a harder one for me. You cannot. I agree. You cannot do it. And no matter how we may know that in here, we don't know it in here. We don't have peace. We still attack ourselves. We accuse ourselves. We let Satan have a field day in here. Because we're not at peace with the fact that God has chosen you. And the blood of Jesus, after you decide to get baptized, will wash over you no matter what. As long as you are willing to love God back, God will never leave. As long as the moon just stays put, he'll be enough. As long as she just doesn't leave, God will always shine and she can reflect his beautiful rays. Maybe we say to ourselves, I'm kind of waiting for my life to slow down a bit before I can commit to this. I'm waiting to be more available. Once again, what do you think being a disciple is? Like are disciples only people who have free time? Some of the most faithful people I've ever met have very little free time. You know, I'm, I'm constantly encouraged. I remember when uh, Marlena Halstead was here. Uh, those of us remember Marlena in medical school. But she never knew it. She never mentioned it. You would have never known Marlena was in medical school. A lot of us, we complain all the time about our, our, our schedule. Now we have no, we have, I don't have any time. I was so inspired by, by Marlena. You never would have known. Now she's doing her residency up at Johns Hopkins, doing great. Her and her, her, her husband there, Brandon, doing great up there in the Baltimore church. You know, a lot of us are, are very, very busy. But it's not about being busy. It's about letting God's light shine. It's about surrender. Some of us still want to be the light. 
We hear God's the light and we go, no, but I want to be the light. I want to be in charge of my schedule. I want to earn it. I want to be, I want to perform. And you, the biggest challenge with being a disciple, and Jesus knew it was to surrender. Yeah. If 10,000 men attack someone with 20,000, who's going to win? All things equal, the 20,000 army will win. Jesus says, the man, the, ten, the man who leads the 10,000 must lay down his arms, get on his knees, and send out a delegation asking for terms of peace. Jesus says the hardest part about being a disciple is surrender. Yeah. Yeah. It's surrender. We don't like to surrender. We read that passage, us, us men, and we go, never give up, never surrender. I would have fought the 20,000. Yes, and you would have lost to the 20,000. I'll fight God. Yes, and you will lose to God. You can die with your pride if you like. But Jesus says humility is the most difficult thing in the world. Humility, if you are a humble person, the world will notice. There's no humility out there. Why are, for those of us who have not become disciples yet, why are we still attracted to the world? They have more questions than answers. Good luck out there. They don't know what's going on. Read a history book. It's a mess. And it will, read a newspaper. It's still a mess. It will continue to be a mess. And, when we, and 25 years ago, when they go, oh, you know what? You know what's going to help? The internet. It will not help. You know what's going to help? Technology, technological in, in, innovation. It will not help. You know what's going to help? You know, countries working together. That's not going to help. We, we try our best to make things work without God, and we will not be a light. God is the light. Now, God's working in people's lives to this day. God is working in your neighbors right now. Uh, we don't need to go out and tell people to forget everything they've ever learned because it's garbage. It's not the tr- it's not, that's not truth. God's already working in people's lives. Yeah. They already have nuggets of truth. God's already led people. He's already provided good works for you in advance. So Ephesians 2 says, God set up your neighborhood for you to just be a light. It's already set up. God set up your classrooms to be a light. I know the campus students, for me in campus, it was easy to share my faith with a stranger. There's no risk there. I'm never going to see him again. But my classrooms, how many of my classmates did I actually reach out to? Now, I had, and I really went after it my senior year, but honestly, it's, it's a source of shame for me. Even sharing it, I'm like, I did not talk to my classmates. Because at the end of the day, I cared about what people thought. It was too risky. Uh, and I gave in to fear instead of being faithful. You know, this past Friday, I was working out in our little gym. It's not much of a gym. If you know, you've probably been there, Mines Clubhouse. Check it out. It's not much of a gym. Everything's broken. But I'm there, and I'm running, and a guy comes in, and every time, in that little gym, it's like, it's not very big. And there's two of you, so I'm thinking, I kind of see him in my peripheral vision, and I'm like, I should probably reach out to this guy. You know, I need to at least just talk to him. Just be friendly, you know. Basic. Just be friendly to this guy. Then I think, well, I'm, I'm running. So, you know, I don't want to cut my run short. God forbid, right? Sounds, sounds, sounds stupid. I'm going to finish my run. And God was patient with me because I finished my run and he's still there. And I thought, well, let me get a little lift in, you know, while I'm lifting here. And I keep lifting. And as I'm lifting, all I'm thinking is the Holy Spirit's like, stop it, Drew, for goodness sake. Get over there. Talk to this fellow. Stop it. So, okay, I go, go all right, I'm going to go talk to him. Introduce myself, uh, you know, got to talk, got to talking. Turns out he just moved there. He's, he and his wife, uh, very similar ages to Jenny and I. They just moved in. Uh, they don't know a lot of people. And uh, he's actually Nepalese. And he's like, hey, I said, we should get dinner sometime. And he was like, yes, there's a great place called Himalayan Fusion. Great Nepalese food. We should go. So I, I, amen. I was so excited. He said goodbye. Exchange numbers. 
I was so excited, I forgot about my workout, and I walked out of the clubhouse and forgot my keys. So I was so excited what the Lord had done. And I got locked out. And if you, get, you can't get back in because you don't have your keys, and you can't get into your apartment because you don't have your keys. So it's really a pickle. And I, so I had to call Jenny and sit in the rain for about 30 minutes for my keys. But the whole time, you know what? I was happy. I thought, it's no big deal. We're going to dinner with, with these guys. We're going to dinner with this couple. We're set it up. It's gonna, this is what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to be lights. And I didn't do anything amazing. I just said hello. And I just introduced myself. And I just tried to, you know, share what God has done in my life. Any one of us, we don't necessarily have to have the right answers, but we all can share what God's done in our lives. Let me tell you what God's done in my life. You think, oh, that might look weird. Yes, it might. But we're supposed to be lights. And a light is distinguishable. A lot of times Christians try to blend in. I want to be just like everybody else. Supposed to be distinguishable. It's a good thing that ambulances are distinguishable. So we can get out of their way so they can help someone. Right? We have to be distinct. If we're going to help people, we have to look different. And not for the sake of being different. Don't go out of your way to be weird. God's already set it up. If you're humble and you're faithful and you're giving praise to God, that's enough, I think, for it to look pretty different. And what do you want to see in your neighborhoods? What do you want to see God do? Jesus says the same thing here. Through the Holy Spirit, Paul writes, you see, at just the right time, while we were still powerless, that doesn't sound like just the right time, by the way. At just the right time, while you were doing great, and you were powerful, and you had your life together, and you really got your purity in order, and you started to really actually live like a disciple, then I died for you. No, no, at just the right time, when you had nothing going for you, while you were powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. So far, we are powerless and ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So what are we? Powerless, ungodly, and sinners. You know, Jesus died for you at your worst moment. We've got to get this out of our head. We, that's what grace is. It's unmerited favor. God has bestowed his love on you, even though you did not deserve it. And it's not a credit card. It's not a license. The goal is, the hope is, that you'll actually see that and live out of gratitude. When you're grateful for something, you don't have to be told what to do ever. When you're really grateful, it's obvious. It is is like always on your heart, always on your mind. It is ever-present. The question is not, what do I have to do? The question is, are you grateful? What do I have to do? I have to do a lot. Are you grateful? It's why we have quiet times every day, not to figure out what you should do that day so that you can be in awe and be grateful for what God has done for you. And if you haven't chosen to become a disciple yet, the simple truth is you've not yet decided to be grateful. You've still decided to hold on that you want to be the light. You're still in charge of your destiny. You still want to manage it. And you're, you're fearful to surrender. But I want to encourage you this morning, for those that are not disciples yet, lay down your weapons. Lay it down. You don't have to bring anything into the waters of baptism except your sin. That's all it is. And I'm encouraged about Jenna's decision today to make that decision. But for those, of us who are, for those of us who are disciples, God's vision for us is this, that parents, busy or not busy, will still see friends become disciples. That parents, despite non-traditional marriages and non-traditional family dynamics, will still see their teens have greater faith than them. And do even greater things than them in the kingdom of God. 
God's vision is that the Yopros, using their time and money, will glorify God instead of using it to buy luxuries for themselves. And instead of using their money and time to put up walls for independence, they put walls down and they live lives of sexual purity. Teens, God's vision is that you're distinctive at school, that you stand out, that you decide to become disciples, and that you see friends at your schools become disciples. That might sound crazy. Right now you're like, I can't, I'm trying to become a disciple. Well, here's the thing. God has a heart for your friends too. There are people at your schools, those high schools, that are begging for someone just to ask. And C.S. Lewis says, it is, is of utmost selfishness if a Christian cannot share their faith. We're just selfish if we don't have compassion on those who just want to be asked. They're begging. Their home situations are horrible. And they just want to hope that someone at school will be a light to them. How about campus ministry? How about having an incredible community on campus that's not, a, not about just hanging out with each other, but bringing outsiders into the community, showing them the light? How about sharing your faith with classmates? How about all your classmates know who you are and why you are the way that you are. You know, for all of us churches, we close out. We only got to know a couple things. God is light. And the only reason we are the light is because we have God. We're the moon. And we can become as big a rock as we want. We still will shed no light on anything. We have Jesus. The victory is won. God will see amazing things happen in Charlottesville. Neighbors, friends, kids. God wants to see people come to Christ. He wants to see people get baptized, not because it's a number and we want to grow and it makes us feel better. God loves people. And God has arranged you. He's chosen you to be born wherever you were born. He's chosen you to go to whichever school you've gone to. He's put you with that discipler for a reason, even though you're like, I don't know. He put you with that discipler for a reason. You're married to someone for a reason. God is sovereign, isn't he? God's still in charge. And even if you made an evil choice, and a lot of you did, I did, God can turn good out of our evil. God can work. Do we have faith that he can work? Because if we have faith that God can work, we will light it up. The, The Charlottesville community and beyond, whether we move or stay or have kids or don't or are married or don't or whatever, have money or don't, whatever. It doesn't matter. We will be lights because we have God. Let's light it up, church. Let's have faith. To God be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So at this time, we're actually going to have the sharing for the baptism. Uh, And then we'll have a final song. And then for those that can and hopefully will, head over to the Ravana River for the baptism right after church. So now uh, Jenny uh, and Jenna and the girls and Karen will come up for the sharing.